0: Welcome to Consensus, a podcast from Census Technologies. All right, everyone. Welcome to the third and final episode here in our series, talking about census AI squared productivity. We appreciate you joining us here today very, very much. If you missed the previous two episodes, you can always go back and check those out. They should be in the podcast feed. They're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on the census website. So make sure to check out those episodes for an introduction into our conversation today. But here in the third and final installment today, we're going to be talking about the importance of optimized SPD staff utilization, as well as creating tray efficiencies through data analysis and advice for hospitals considering or evaluating using Census AI Squared. So you want to go back and check out those previous episodes, but that's what's coming up here on the third and final ass- installment of this podcast series. So let's get right to it. Let's dive into our conversation. You know, we, we've talked a lot about staffing throughout this conversation, but that's that's really a thing, right, is you're able to, to put staff in a, in a place where you're going to need them most, which increases efficiency,
1: right? Oh, absolutely. And, and we had... Um... When I first got here, we had kind of the standard, if you will, um, schedules laid out for, for a CS department. And they were, they were adequate. They were working. Um, there were labor hours being wasted on the front end, um, by multiples of employees. And then, um, there were shortcomings at lunch and, um, and, you know, and, and the hours the the, the, um, the, the schedules that the employees were working, they were they were pretty standard. They were pretty normal across the industry. Um, and that leads me back to what I was saying earlier in, you know, when I ask X number of employees to just just tweak your schedule a little bit, an hour up, two hours back, uh, whatever the, that case may be. And so when we started um, probably, I would say probably 60 days into seeing the, the, the data come out of, um the a i squared was that's when we started you know moving moving we, we, we started looking at it- and, you know almost immediately. We actually started making changes probably sixty days in, and we made those changes around the data that we were seeing based on scans and so you know we were backing employees uh you know an hour. And an hour doesn't seem like it would make that big of a change, but that, you know, that takes me back to, you know, I changed an employee's schedule by one hour. Now they're here the same amount of time, debatably working just as hard, but they're doing more in the same amount of time with the same amount of effort. And all it was was a tweak of their schedule. And so, you know, we don't have um everybody starts here everybody ends here. And then the next one comes in, everybody starts here, everybody ends here. And so it's it's a lot more stair-stepped um, and it's built around the throughput of surgery or the expected throughput of surgery instead of me being a manager. And it's a lot easier to say, I got 10 people starting at nine, I got 15 starting at noon, I got 20 coming in at three, you know whatever your numbers are so now um i've got you know two starting early coming in make sure we've got multiple people that have that same skill set for the testing and all those things handle any you know emergencies from overnight that type thing and then we don't really see people start coming in until 10 o'clock or later because uh you know some of those people drop into 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 decontam, and you know, there's not really work waiting on them until I've got cases start, then stop, then go through the entire decontam process, and then a 20 to 30 minute washer cycle. And then the trays are out <clears throat> and they can be assembled. No real point in having staff here waiting on that process to happen. Uh, and typically, Um, You know, this is December. We're late fourth quarter. So, you know, everything's different. But typically we start the day out fresh and clean, you know, almost no trays down, um, very little to no trays down. Uh, And so I would literally have staff, you know, we would be looking for stuff for them to do on a regular basis. Yeah, Cody, if I could could jump in for one second.
2: I had recently seen an article where it said uh, like only 20% of all instruments on trays are actually used in the operating room. And, you know, and I get why the other 80% need to be there. You know, surgeons may or may not, different surgeons need different things. But but for the most part, only 20% of instruments are being used to surgeries. And, and the reason I bring that up is because one thing that Seamus and I have talked about a lot is complexity of trays and standardization. And this is one thing that Seamus and I talked about in the early days when we looked at, we have a tertiary care facility. We have two um, um level one, uh, level two trauma centers. And then we have a bunch of other facilities that may do small things. Like our one facility, the the top three uh, trays are are two are L&D trays. The third is a dermatology like Mo's trays. And so it's unfair to compare one facility to the other. And and then one thing that we looked at with the uh, complexity of the trays is, okay, well, these trays are very, very heavy. We're only getting one unit of service for a a tray that might have 200 inchments in it. Whereas these other trays, if we're getting one unit in a service for uh, maybe a tray that has 15 instruments in it. And, it, you know, so we looked at that complexity and we work with our OR partners, uh, OR coordinators. And we're actually looking at, you know, how we can streamline trays or maybe break trays into two because maybe they're overweight, that kind of thing. So the standardization function and the, the Census AI Square is is amazing.
1: Yeah, it is Jeff, I actually had in my notes here. I was going to ask you if you guys uh, took advantage of that uh, that complexity option um, when they uh, when they rolled us that out to us. I'm like, man, that is that is going to be great. Yeah. And then like the reality set of uh, the reality of it set in, and um, I'm like, Seamus, that that's awesome. That's an amazing tool. But I don't have hours to go through and assign complexities to all these trades. And he's like, you know what? we got you. Here's the plan. Here's how, here's how we'll do it. And, and this is the best way. And so we took Seamus's plan and we, we executed it. I don't know, got two hour investment, maybe I, we'll be, you know, generously say three hour investment. And um, man, the the, the, the vision that was obscured Uh, I mean, it was, it really was eye opening, not only to me, but to my staff as well. And so, you know, if you've ever heard me speak, you know, I I say almost every time I speak, not all trays are equal because they're not. Not all trays are equal. I've got, I've got techs that are cranking out 50 trays a day. That's great. They're camera trays. I've got other techs that are, that are cranking out, you know, 12 and 15 trays. Well, those are, those are slightly more complex trays. Those are not the same thing. And so when you're cranking out 10, trays that have a complexity of a five on a one to five scale, that is that's impressive. And then you come back and, and have it coupled with, you know, an, an error rate or uh, you know, whatever whatever terminology you're gonna you're gonna use for that. But to to be able to measure that too. Yeah,
2: the other area where the complexity helped us is um with the you know COVID with the supply chain shortages and things like that. We actually um we actually had POs that were over a year old that had still not been fulfilled. I mean, we're, we're talking a couple hundred POs for instruments just at w- one site. Um, the instruments just weren't coming in. So what folks were doing where they were looking at alternative um, companies with mid-grade instruments. Even though they're still surgical quality, they're still mid-grade. Um, our policy here at our facility, you know, we, we stress quality so much. We, we only allow premium-grade instrumentation into our operating room. Uh, No mid-grade, even though it's operating room um, allowed, Uh, but we only allow premium grade. So what we had to do was with that complexity um, and then um, updated count sheets is we looked at how we could best use the available resources that we had at the time, which trays were not being used. Um, I I love that ability. Um, I mean, our major trays, uh, obviously, if anybody has major trays, are probably your number one used tray. Uh, but our soft tissue trays, for example, uh, yeah, I think we had uh, like eleven of them at one site, but we were needing like thirteen every time we used uh, them. And so you know, we either, have, we either had to borrow them from a different site, or we had to figure out a way to accommodate the operating room that, for that day. So um, standardiza- i can't say enough about standardization across the board. Uh, no matter whether it's um, it's your know, supply chain, whether it's your staffing. Uh, it's whether it's, it's the SPD functions and, and I cannot say enough about maintenance, which, you know, falls in that category of complexity of trays. If the trays too complex, your error rates are just going to go way up. You know, um, it's too difficult, especially when you have staffing coming on board with no prior experience, um, open heart trays, uh, 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 you know they're they're notorious for be having to be perfect, not only perfect as according to the count sheet, but the way it's set up. You know, I mean, you or oh, folks uh, that are doing open hearts, they want that that wire cutter in a specific spot. They want the sternal retractor in a certain spot and ready to go. Some facilities want their sternal retractor separated, but most uh, open-heart facilities, especially trauma, they want that Finichetto retractor assembled and in the position of function, and they want it right on top because when they crack a chest, they're going to need those those certain types of things. Um, So even though the count sheet might be correct, the way the tray is set up, um, if the tray is too complicated... Uh, it's not advantageous for uh, throughput workflows and those new folks. It just it just um, upset. It, no, I want to say upset. It just uh, doesn't help them to put out a quality product when when it's too complex. Too complex.
0: So, Seamus, uh, from from your perspective, Jeff and Cody have worked you know with um, with this for a while and have been using this solution for quite some time. What are you hearing from from other customers? What, what are you hearing from the rest of the market?
3: Good question. So similar stories um we've you know as you know we launched this officially a month ago got quite a bit of interest um from lots of customers uh, across the industry and in very very similar stories you know the the key points are you know really having visibility to data and being able to communicate with data having those data-driven conversations you know like like cody was talking about when you make changes there's a downstream impact those changes this is you know, you change somebody's schedule. That's that's a big deal for a person. Uh, and so, there's making changes in a lot of cases is expensive, and you want to have data to back that up before you make those kinds of decisions. Um, so, yeah, lots of lots of very similar stories. Um, lots of lots of interesting things in the data too. Um, you know, I think so. Jeff said. You know, he thought maybe major trays were the most commonly used trays. Um, I think what we see is the striker camera and light cord trays are the most commonly yep. used. Uh, yep. Probably just because there's so many of them, um, which is kind of interesting. The, some of the other things we're looking at now are, are uh, related to quality, looking for, um, you know, what, what correlates, what, 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 what correlates to higher defect rates? One of the things that we actually found, um, which is kind of interesting, is the number of different kinds of trays a technician routinely assembles correlates with defect rates. So technicians who assemble lots of different kinds of trays on a regular basis have lower defect rates, um, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. We the the Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Our hypothesis, though, is that that was a proxy for experience. That the more experienced technicians are probably the ones working on more things. Mm-hmm. Um, probably a lower so,
1: complacency too. You do the same handful of trays all the time. But mm-hmm. There's a certain amount of comfort that comes with it. So, I guess maybe, maybe yeah, yeah.
3: yeah. Um, so, yep. so it's all kinds of really interesting insights. Yeah. That.
2: Yeah, and, and Seamus and I, when, when you and I were talking, we were talking about bottlenecks and WIP, work in progress, the trace, number of trays are down, you know, directly correlates to defects or quality issues because now what we have, we have disorganization, right, the bottlenecks, people are rushing, taking shortcuts. You know, one of my phrases I've, I live and die by is no shortcuts. There, there are no shortcuts. There's, there's no middle ground between sterile and unsterile, right? Um, the whip, you know, same thing with the whip. You know, the number of trays that are down. We now we have folks rushing to get trays done, and um, that's when the, the mistakes happen. Like you ask yourself, how can somebody miss an indicator? You know, how come this person can miss five indicators in, in less than less than a month? You know, it just seems so simple and so uh, repetitious. They should never forget an indicator or a filter, um, but it, it's because you know we're rushing because there's a problem with the workflow. Or there's bottlenecks, or there's just a lot of work. Cleanliness and organization and workflow—those um, those top those are top three areas in my on my list of things to do to make sure are working correctly. And and unless I, I mean, with my, so many sites that I have, unless I have some kind of dashboard that tells me, you know, that those are all, all those three objectives are being met. You know it's hard for me to lead from afar, and um, that's what this—that's what this solves for me. It do, well, it doesn't solve a hundred percent of the problem, but it, it gets pretty close to hundred percent because you still have to go to the area and observe, right? You still have to meet the people and those types of things. But it—I I tell you what—I go to bed at night, uh, and I get good sleep knowing that I made the right decisions that day. And um.
1: Jeff, you were—you were talking about your dashboard. So um, let's say. Pre uh, census AI, did you have any kind of dashboard? Did you, did you did you have a presentation of data to your team?
2: You know, um, the only thing that I, I had really was um, charts that I was doing in Excel, yep. um, pivot tables, so like the line charts, like when you, you do. Would
1: do that? Like how how long, how long how much time were you spending on that to present the information to your team?
2: Well, you know, it's funny you asked that because um, it it took about two, two and a half days, or per week.
1: Yeah, same um, thing for me. So I I like the raw numbers, but a lot of my staff they like they like the visual, right? And so, man, end of month come, third, fourth day in, I got, I got, I got all these numbers. I'm putting all these reports together, and then uh, putting it in Excel and and manipulating it, and then you know you got to make it somewhat presentable, right? So. Hours, hours. If I didn't get any interruption, it would take me a, a full day's dedication. Well, I don't know about you. It's pretty rare that I don't get interruption. But I mean, so what is your? How much time do you dedicate to it now that you've got since AI compared to um, compared to when you when you were like producing your own like I was probably an hour.
2: <laughs> no, I mean, I'm not even kidding. So the the biggest problem with um, putting charts together and all this, you probably noticed already, is is it's not really putting the chart together. You know that may take two or three hours. You know if you're using the old Excel, the problem is getting the data, finding the data. I mean, you know, Census has great reports and all, but you you have you might have to pull multiple reports. I might have to go into our timekeeper system and pull out you know time data from there. Um, those I, I might have to go back into our um, our schedule pull out data from there uh and and then once you get all that data and you know it's kind of like okay um, is is this data really correct and and then is my is my math is my math right or am i putting right the right formulas yeah. together uh, that was one problem i had with the uh, the excel yeah. was you know formulas you know <laughs> yeah.
1: always I was always kind of it, nervous it's, about it's that too but but now like you were saying yeah. i go in adjust the filters hit print You'll stick it on the communication yeah. board. I mean, it's I mean, yep. that's it. And I, can, I saw
2: the ability to create my own charts with the drill downs, and I can export it to Excel, those types of things. I, that's the nice thing about it. You know, I, I can pick and choose the data I need uh, when I need it. And you know, even though the reports are available, you know, for um, you know going really deep into a, a topic or subject, um, you know, it's nice to have that, that information right at your fingertips.
0: I, I think that's really, really well put, and. Um we've covered a, a lot of ground here and I think I think a lot of what we've said kind of lends itself to this this last question that I'll ask here but what would you what would you, Jeff and Cody what would you guys say to other hospitals that might be evaluating this tool
2: well I would say to other hospitals you know it's sometimes it's tough to for any hospital especially maybe in you know, post covid supply chain issues uh everyone's worried about a recession you know, you have to, um, you have to invest, you have to, you know, pay it forward sometimes kind of thing. Um, at least give, give new technology a look. Um, you know, we can pay consultants to, uh, we can pay consultants hundreds of thousands of dollars to tell us we have problems. Well, we already know we have communication problems. We already know we have technology problems. I don't need to spend a hundred, couple hundred thousand dollars for someone to tell me that um the we have to identify the problems and the problems are like i said earlier is, is poor communication and you know not having the right data at the right time and um so i i think if if somebody gave you a a crystal ball and you know the crystal ball gave you the answers i mean why not take a look at it or why not try it that's that's the key is is trying it and um, you know, and and then talk to others who have used it. And um, you know, um, you know, Cody and I have a passion for this type of stuff because we've seen it work. I mean, I'm getting 5,000 more trays a month now with the same amount of uh, staff. Um, I'm going from 150 whip to zero whip or 10 trays of whip. Um, no longer seeing the bottlenecks. Uh, when I asked for staff, I asked for four additional staff, and I was shocked when the president approved it. I, I asked for I asked for float positions. Um, I had to build that program from the ground up. I got it. I asked for a quality coordinator, an educator, and a database resource coordinator. I got well, it. Jeff,
3: I mean, he, I mean, you, you don't
2: got hear those, things hear those things
1: because you had the data to support it, though, right? And so,
0: exactly, you, you have
1: to be able to. So your your question, Tyler, was about presenting the C suite, and, and you have to be able to. Um, demonstrate to them a return on investment. It doesn't matter if you work for a for profit hospital or a not for profit hospital, even not for profit hospitals, they're not for a loss either. You know what I mean? And so they, they have a bottom line. And, and so, you know, as leaders, uh, in the ST, SPD world, um, you know, when you get to a certain point, you have to study the business side of it as much or more than the clinical side of it. There's an expectation that if you're here, that if you're having these conversations, you've got the clinical know-how, the clinical skill set, and at mm-hmm. least the ability to find the information if you don't already have it. But now we're going to challenge you with a, with a business aspect, business acumen of it. And if you want a new toy, that's fine. Come sell it to me and tell me how it's going to make me money or how I'm going to break even on it. Or um, how it's going to benefit the facility in the long run, and you know some of the ways. So every everything has dollar signs tied to it, right? It doesn't matter if you're talking about tracking systems, containers, instruments themselves, surgeries—they've all got dollar signs. Labor. So the the most expensive thing in your department is probably labor. It might be capital, but it's probably labor. It's your highest cost, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, usually. Between forty-five and sixty-five percent, depending on market and a whole bunch of other things that we won't get into. But when when you can say that this program or this addendum or this add-on is is X amount of dollars, and then I can say, look, I can take and spend this money here, and then with it, I, I've seen where it's demonstrated. I, I made a few tweaks that didn't cost anything. I mean, there was a certain amount of risk in making the changes, but there was no cost in making the changes. And now, all of a sudden, I'm getting more for the money I'm already spending. Right. There's your return on investment. And then uh and then you come back. And one of the things, Jeff, you may have looked at this. I don't know that it, it just it just it just hit me. The reminder did is this also allows you to um look at. Future capital purchases, and so that's one of the things that that, that um, I remember as we were going through early in on this. Shamus, uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the things that we looked at is uh, the throughput, the time, the season allowed us to determine, you know, are the number of sterilizers we've got, are they really truly adequate? Uh, um, you know, we weren't breaking, or we weren't tracking like when the sterilizers were down or anything like that, but we were tracking the possible throughput and the throughput based on when it was all happening. And so um there were certain things that will allow us to better make those decisions. You know what I mean? Whether we really didn't need to make that investment or not make that investment. And then, you know, like I was saying while well, everything's got a dollar attached to it. So error rates have dollars tied to them. Uh trays that were supposed to be sterile and are not, those have dollars assigned to them because tray was supposed to be up and it's not. You've delayed a case. How much is OR per minute? Uh you had a tray that was received that um that was uh contaminated right and so how you know you've you've either started a domino effect and so your SPD staff or percentage of your SPD they have to stop everything take care of this tray so everything else stops take care of this tray to get decontammed properly and then to get it sterilized properly. But they had to stop everything else. Well you know what happens to that domino? It goes down the hill. Right? And so all that stuff can be measured. And you know you you've almost almost been given a predictive tool, uh, if nothing else, an insight to now see these things. Cody, if I can add,
2: you know, you had a good thought there that made me uh, think about something. You know, um, every SPD manager uh, has all has been called into the operating room to speak to a surgeon sometimes during a case. I know I have a couple of times. That's and happened, What they say to you, <laughs> right? So, but what, what I commonly hear is, "I want to know how this happened. I want to, I want to, I want to know how how it happened. I want to know why it happened. I want to know what you're going to do about it." Right. So the surgeon will say, I want to know why it happened. I want to know how it happened. And I want to know what you're going to do about it. And you're standing there on the carpet in a dark room with bright lights uh facing on the patient. And you know, you got 10 people staring at you, wondering what you're going to say. And so those are difficult positions for uh, new leaders, especially to be in, but uh even for seasoned leaders to be in that position. And you know, I always want I always I've learned that, you know, the best answer I can give is is, you know. I can't tell you that right at this moment, but I promise you, I'll I'll investigate, I'll find out where the problems are, and I'll develop an action plan. Uh, but the key to that is, you know, it's it's all a journey, right? You can take you can take a, an an hour to get to the journey, or you can take a week to get to the journey. You still get the same results. But the fact is, the sooner you get it, this that proactive part that Tyler and I were talking about earlier, instead of being retroactive and that kind of thing, is you can get you can get an answer for that surgeon. Hopefully, be, maybe even before the time they leave the operating room, and and I think that goes a long way. Um, I did have one leader yesterday; she reached out to a doctor with um, with something and followed up on something. And he goes, he said, "You know what? You're the first person that's ever reached out to me from SPD," and he really appreciated it and gave her um, his cell phone number, and, uh, and they swapped phone numbers. Um, so that's that's relationship building right there,
0: man. This, are, uh, this is incredible stuff and just a lot of, um, I-, I think, fantastic testament to the power of this uh, uh, of this platform and what it can provide for organizations. We're going to have to wrap it up there because uh, we've covered a lot of ground here today. So, uh, guys, thank you again so much for joining us here on this episode of Consensus. Jeff Long, Cody Trout, and Seamus Johnson, guys, thank you again so much for being here.
2: My thank pleasure. You. Thanks, guys. It was my pleasure to be here.
0: All right, everyone, that's going to do it. This was the third and final installment here in this, uh, in this series talking about Census AI Squared productivity. We appreciate you joining us for all three episodes. For more, of course, you can always subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date with the latest. And, of course, more podcast episodes are coming your way very shortly from myself and the team at Census. So you want to make sure to subscribe to stay up to date with the latest for those. But for this series, these three episodes, we are signing off. And so thank you again for joining us, and we'll see you next time.